Welcome to the Nobles Youth Podcast. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. My name is Mike Kalin, the Director of Teaching and Learning at Nobles, and I'll be your host today. Just wanted to take a brief moment to review the purpose of the podcast and its mission, what we're trying to do. So through the podcast, we're hoping to speak with many faculty and staff members, all involved with our work here at Nobles related to teaching and learning, academic technology, DI culture and practices, socio-emotional learning, and more. Um, our faculty and staff here are filled with expertise in a wide range of subjects, and through the podcast, we're hoping to hear from as many voices as possible. So for this podcast, we're thrilled to have Allison Easterling, our new head of upper school as of July. And I know I speak for our whole faculty when I say we're incredibly lucky she's joined our community. So Allison, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So we're going to start a little bit about life before Nobles. Could you just tell us a little bit about where you've worked and what capacities? Sure. So um, before coming to Nobles, I spent 18 years at the Lawrenceville School, um, which is a co-ed um, boarding school in central New Jersey. Uh, and before that, I was um, out in Los Angeles. I was in Los Angeles for graduate school and in history, and then I actually spent about six years outside the classroom um, working in international education at the University of Southern California. Um, before that, that's going way, way back. But um, prior to living in California, I lived in France for a number of years where I did some teaching, um, but I also weirdly worked in IT at the, in a help desk at uh, Airbus Industries in Toulouse, France. So I've had um, a couple different iterations of life. <laughs> um, but most relevantly at Lawrenceville, I was a history teacher, uh, a track and cross, cross country coach. I was a uh, faculty member in a residential setting in a dorm for almost 10 years. Um, I served as a department chair, um, as an, associ an assistant, and then associate dean of faculty, and then finally dean of academics. So I know it seems like a lot of exciting roles at Lawrenceville. And so just sort of curious, as you were contemplating after being somewhere for 18 years, what drew you to Nobles? So, um, I mean, really a, a number of things. Um, and I have to say that I, and I, I've said this to other people, um, I wasn't looking to leave Lawrenceville, um, but when I saw the opportunity at Nobles, um, I was really intrigued and for a couple specific reasons. I think first, um, you know, personally, um, the location of Nobles is, was, would get me closer to some very aging parents that I have uh, and my own children are in the New England area. Um, so there was that, but I think much e equally important, um, I knew of Nobles, I knew the size of Nobles, I knew something about Nobles' interest in kind of being the so-called, you know, day school with the heart of a boarding school, um, the commitment to relationships, um, the commitment to academic excellence, and um, I was I was intrigued to, to learn more about it because of all those things. And I remember very vividly, you know, my first time on campus, really feeling that there were so many ways in which the school was like living into its mission in really visible ways. And um, in particular, my experience seeing assembly and then just the people that I met throughout the day who, um, I mean, teaching is hard work. Everyone who works in schools like this um, works really hard, but um, I met so many people who seemed to be really passionate about um, the, the, the commitment that the school has to task, relationship before task and to um, this whole value of connection that really, really struck me as soon as I was on campus. Uh, it's great to hear. And I feel very similarly as somebody who's been 
here a little bit longer, but <laughs> some of the same dynamics definitely certainly resonate. Um, I know you've only been here a couple months, but are there certain things that have, have, have sort of most struck you or in your observations? Because I was interested in coming from a different place. You sometimes mm-hmm. have a unique perspective that those of us who have been here a while mm-hmm. sometimes can lose sight of. So one thing that I've been so impressed with at Noble so far um, is just the the amount of effort and energy that so many adults across campus put into really knowing their students. Um, and for example, I mean, the deans are doing, you know, pretty much heroic work at that, but, but not just deans, um, uh, just the way that so many teachers, so many educators across the school, whether they're classroom based or not, um, are able to talk about students um, in in detail, like w- that they really know them, they care about them. So that's something that's really stood out to me right away. I think also um, the care that that colleagues show each other, and sometimes even when when a particular colleague isn't even in the room, but just I, I feel like people are always when they're making decisions or talking about something. I think very often there's a, a you know kind of okay, wait, how is this going to land? Or who needs to know about this? So I think there's a kind of a, a culture of, of care and consideration that I've really noticed. Um, you know, I think that, you know, occasionally, and, and I haven't seen that yet so far, but I think that, you know, occasionally that can become really complicated when really tough decisions need to be made. But I think that in general, that's the, the sign of a community that, you know, I'm, I'm repeating all the same words, but really does care about each other and cares about everyone in it. Yeah, definitely that notion of task before relationships, task, relationship before task, excuse me, is definitely something that has been really incorporated into the culture of the Mm -hmm. community, I think. I think the other thing that, if you don't mind, if I just continue for a second, I think the other thing that that I I really uh, have enjoyed seeing too is um, just the variety of things that students get to do. Uh, in assembly, um, or, you know, even, you know, between classes or on the field, all, you know, all the places that kids are in schools. But, um, you know, we, we have, we pay, we, we talk about risk taking and wanting kids to feel like they um, can do that, you know, in school. And, And I think there are lots of ways in which our students at Nobles are doing that. So it's been good to see too. Agreed. Uh, shifting gears a little bit to talk about school leadership, which it seems like more and more there are always these really thoughtful pieces in magazines like Independent School, which is NAS's magazine, about how complicated school leadership is mm-hmm. in 2023. And I just wanted to sort of curious for those that have aspirations to serve in roles like yours or other school leadership roles, like what qualities or characteristics do you think are most important for those aspiring to become school leaders? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's so. It's, it's it's kind of funny for me to have you even ask me that question, which may sound weird because I'm the head of the upper school here. Um, but I I came into school leadership, I would say, very reluctantly. Um, I didn't see that as part of my trajectory at all. In fact, when the head of school at the time um, asked me to um, consider taking on the role of department chair uh, at the history in the history department at Lawrenceville, um, I said, no way, I don't want to do that. Um, and, uh, and, and then she said, no, you, you, I'm going to, you have to do it. Uh, so that's another story there, but, um, I, I think I started my kind of leadership journey for want of a better term, um, struggling with a lot of 
confidence, self-confidence. Um, probably like, you know, a lot of people, maybe a lot of women in particular, but I think it's, you know, more widespread than just, you know, sort of, you know, we can't just talk about it in gendered terms, although there's, there's something to that. Um, but I think what I, what I learned in sort of being forced into a role that I thought I didn't want was that, um, I think that I have a curiosity about people. So I, so to answer your question, like what are some of the sort of, you know, important qualities maybe for that, you know, academic leaders need to have, I think being curious about people and, and actually I would say curiosity in general, uh, has been something that I've found to be actually really important in how I've evolved as a leader. Also, um, a, a sort of interest in, um, in problem solving and a willingness to take that on. Um, that can come with also being willing to take risks, which was has gotten easier as I've, you know, gotten more experienced. But, you know, being a leader also means being vulnerable to critique and criticism. And you have to be willing to put yourself out there sometimes. And that that's hard, especially at the beginning of, you know, someone's um, experience. Um, I also think that, you know, for me, like just a core value for me is humility. Um, I think humility is kind of paired with curiosity. Uh, I, I think that, um, you know, I have gotten to where I am today and I still have tons to learn, but because I had so many people that I was learning from and listening to. Um, and so I think, you know, part of, part of being a leader is finding your own voice and finding confidence, but, um, for me, it's so much about, there's sort of a feedback loop all the time. It's, you know, um, listening to others, like finding your voice, but listening and, um, really thinking about and um, what other people are doing and watching them. And um, there's that kind of, you know, um, I don't know, interplay almost between like actions that you might decide to take and then how people respond. So what can you learn from that? How can you do better? Um, so th those are some things that I guess I would, I would put at the front um, of my, I guess, learnings about leadership. Yeah, no, really thoughtful. And I would say, just as you mentioned, sort of looking up to those who might have served as kinds of mentors. I think already, even in your short time here, you have a lot of people who have admired your leadership. And so I think the same cycles continue, which is always really neat uh, sort of to see. So this might be a little unfair considering how short of time you've been here, but going back to maybe combining some of those school leadership sort of strengths and qualities, are there any goals that you'd like to pursue in your new role here as head of upper school coming in? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's an unfair question. I think you know, actually, as a, you know, I guess to go back to the other question as a leader, like, you know, it's important to have some goals. Um, um, but in a being a new community, obviously, you have to decide which goals to pursue and really take time to learn the community, etc. I, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about a lot right now in nobles, and it's not unique to nobles, um, but it's, I just think it's something to work on is, this whole, you know, where can, where can um, um, sort of guidelines, policies, you know, to use a very unpopular word in the independent school world, kind of standard practice or standardization be something that can be really helpful for teachers and for students? Um, and where, where's the line, you know, because as independent schools, we also believe in independence, right? In um, a certain degree of autonomy in the classroom. 
Um, so one of my goals is to kind of better understand as part of my larger goal, just learning nobles, but to um, see like where where might we move the needle in one direction or the other. It may not be necessarily towards standardization, um, but that that could be you know useful again for the institution as a whole, but in terms of the the teacher experience, the student experience. Um, and I, I guess I'll I'll say that you know one of my kind of larger I don't know, beliefs, I suppose, about what what is the job of a of a leader? And maybe I'll even take it, you know, what's the job of an administrator? An administrator's job, I think one of the most important jobs of an administrator is to um, kind of t- clear the path, in a sense, for teachers and students to be able to do their work better. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that's a, a, an important role for an administrator. So in terms of, of goals, you know, is um, are there are there places where um, part of that clearing the path might be um, helping to create so- certain kinds of guidelines or policies that we don't have? Um, so that's one. I, but um, I, I, I think um, besides just the goal of trying to really get to know Nobles this year in terms of its policies, its practices, its cultures, both you know written and unwritten, said and unsaid, um, and understand you know what happens in our classrooms. I think um, one of my more specific goals is to um, work with the department heads to really um, get their voice really as part of sort of my process of thinking about what kinds of things to take on in the school, what kinds of um, places might we want to lean into if there's some uh, a process or a policy that needs some improvement or needs some change. Um, so I'm very interested in, in kind of... Um, were, I guess that is a goal, empowering the department chairs. Um, not to say that like they were disempowered before, but um, thinking about how that group of academic leaders can really um, kind of um, play a really important role in, you know, what's next for nobles. And, you know, we're in the middle of sort of the early stages of a strategic plan. So that's, there's a lot of question marks around that, but I think mm-hmm. that that's an important group. Um, let's see. Um, I, I suppose, you know, one of my goals right now that's been, um, that really has to do with kind of what's immediate on, on my plate is that with the academic component, the strategic planning process, one of my goals is to understand and then carry out like the best way to involve as many faculty um, and actually as many constituent voices as possible in that process. So um, if we're talking about the academic program at Nobles, we're talking about the heart of this, we are a school. So academics are an enormous part of it. It's not everything, but it is our central mission in many ways. So um, how can we make sure that, how can I make sure, rather it's my goals, how can I make sure that faculty voice is really part of that process of figuring out, you know, what are our successes academically? Where might we need to create, you know, some new directions or change? Um, what about student voice? What about alumni voice? What about parent voice? So that one of my goals is to really um, be as inclusive as possible in that process. Mm-hmm. And everything you mentioned seems so important and so complicated, which just yeah. speaks to, I think, the complexity of school leadership in 2023. I think that's one area where there's not always agreement, I think, in school leadership circles, no. but I think there's agreement that it's complicated and really difficult. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited about a lot of the things that you've named. And um, I know some of them are sort of short term and others long term. Mm-hmm. but um, think it'll help our school head in definitely the right direction. 
So I couldn't end without asking you the perennial question about generative AI of any school leader at this point. Um, I also know you're pretty literate when it comes to a lot of the reading around generative AI. And I'm just curious, you know, sort of a basic question, but what do you think are going to be the advantages right now or are the advantages currently of generative AI for our students and our culture and our faculty? And then where do you see some of the liabilities or disadvantages? Mm. That's a huge question. Um, I think uh, I, you and I have talked about this before. Um, I, I, I do think that AI is a, is a, maybe it's more than a provocation. Um, it's, a, it's sort of requiring, I think, you know, all of us teachers to think really carefully about what we are assessing. Um, so I guess, you know, in terms of its advantages and disadvantages, like, you know, that can, I think that can feel like a disadvantage and an, and an advantage at the same time that um, it's, it's something that is put, going to push all of us to think really hard about what is it that we are asking our students to do? Why are we asking them to do it? Um, you know, what, what kind of output are we expecting from our students and how is it demonstrating their learning? I mean, all, those are all really big, important questions, but we're not often asked to think about all of them. And so um, I think that, but and the disadvantage, of course, is that those are really hard questions. And, and it's, it, it may, AI is, I think, pushing us to, we're all in a position, I think, where we're going to have to do things differently from the way we used to do them. Um, I think we're kind of in a little in-between right now, and I think that that's okay. I think, you know, as long as teachers are really clear with students about, like, you know, okay, you, you may not use AI for X, Y, or Z, you know, then we can maybe continue to do some things that we did before because there's a good reason for doing them the way we did before. Um, but I think that, you know, we're in such an in-between period um, in terms of understanding all of AI's applications for students. I think for teachers and for schools in general, um, I mean, there's some really big questions like how is it okay and to what extent is it okay for us as adults to be using AI as a tool for efficiency, um, for, you know, clarity in our written work? I mean, um, I think there are plenty of people who are using AI already to improve kind of the clarity of messaging and emails. Um, and I think, I think that's okay. I think the disadvantage is, and this is something I think about a lot. I, I don't, I, I feel like I should ask uh, other people who have much more expertise in AI, but one thing that kind of worries me is even with the advantages, like what I just named, are we all going to end up sounding the same? You know, are we going to lose a certain kind of individual voice, even in something as mundane as, you know, an email about whatever? Um, I have, that's a pretty roundabout answer to your question. Um, huh. But I guess, I, I guess maybe in the, I'll, I'll let myself off the hook by saying that we're, I think we're in a moment where I don't know if there's any other kind of answer for AI. Um, yeah. than a, a rather roundabout one. I, I guess I'll leave it at this because I got to stop talking about this question. But I, I do think, and you know, some people might push back on me, but I do think that we all as adults who are working in education, but probably adults working in it in just about anything right now, I think we do have a professional obligation and even maybe an obligation to ourselves to at least engage a little bit with AI tools and to understand what these are if we haven't done that yet. And then start to think, you know, at an individual level, how, how might I use these to 
um, how might I use these in my work, in my life? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, where you, I know, am. you mentioned that idea about roundabout, and there, there's almost no alternative to giving a roundabout answer to these questions, which I totally agree. And again, I still am having trouble wrapping my head around that question about, you know, what serves our students, what doesn't, same thing with our faculty. So, And, yeah. and I think one of the things that's really interesting, too, is to think about how it is, and I don't, I, I think, I don't think everyone's on board with this. I don't know if I'm on board with this yet, but certainly people are talking about how AI is changing, for example, the writing process that, you know, writing in 2023 or in 2024 or something, it's just a different process for students, for adults than it was, you know, prior to ChatGPT. I don't know. I, it, you know, maybe that's different for seventh grade than it is for ninth grade than it is for 12th grade than it is for adults. So much to think about and talk about. Agreed. For sure. So that's it. Is there anything else in your mind as you think about your time here at Nobles looking to the future? Um, I'm really excited to see the fall colors. <laughs> new to New England. I mean, not totally new, but I haven't, I haven't been in New England in the fall since I was in college. So I'm excited for that. Um, I'm, I'm really, I'm just very um, uh, curious and, and looking forward to, you know, seeing a full year cycle. Um, you don't really know a school until you've been through a whole academic year because each season is so distinct. And um, so I guess, I guess I'll just leave it at that, that I'm, I'm excited for what's ahead. Well, thank you again for joining us. Um, as always, also a thank you to Deborah Brown for helping with some of the technology behind the podcast. And thank you to our listeners. Um, this is a treat to listen to Allison. And if you're curious, we have a few other episodes uh, with faculty members also who gave incredibly thoughtful responses and worth checking out. So thank you again, and we hope to see you soon. Thanks, Allison.